You may be seated. Invite, if you would, take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah. Turn to the book of Isaiah. It's on page 483 in your pew Bible. And just to give you an idea, we're going to be um, in the book of Isaiah through Easter Sunday. And uh, Isaiah is 66 chapters, and it can be a little bit complex and challenging to wrestle with, so we're not going to go verse by verse. Not because, because Isaiah is not wonderful, but because your pastor does not yet have the homiletical skill to take you through that. It might be like three years before we finish. So we're going to hit some high points through the book of Isaiah um, as we lead up to Easter Sunday. So Isaiah chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, there is kind of a small debate that brews in the Splon household from time to time about whether or not we should have an animal in our house, whether or not we should get a dog. And in the list of um, Christmas presents this last year, one of my children put a dog. And I'm just not yet ready for that. And many of you have helped me not be ready for that. Um, in part because when I drive around and it's 17 degrees, and I see one of you out there walking your dog, and you've got the bag in your hand and all the process with that, and maybe if it's raining, I'm just like, not for me, not at this point. Um, or when I hear about these crazy diseases that dogs get. Do you know that dogs get pretty much everything that humans get? Like all of them. And so I'm just convinced that I'm going to get a dog that has the rarest genetic issue that requires transfusions or treatments or transplants and thousands of dollars along with that. And I'm going to have this really terrible ethical dilemma where I think, uh, I'm not sure I can do that. And I would look this dog in the eye. It would be hard. So for the time being, I think I'm going to hold off on having an animal in my house. But there are moments when, and some of you also put me in this position, when I see you in relationship with your dog. There are moments where it just looks so sweet and amazing, right? Because you've fostered and developed this relationship with them over the years. You've fed them. You've taken care of them. You've groomed them. They know where their meals come from. And so they respond in just kind of love and adoration toward you all. And there are moments, moments where I see it and I thought, just see myself by the fire with the dog there at my feet, and I'm almost one over, but, but not yet. But that picture of an animal in right relationship with its owner, or this trust that's been built up over time, that, that the dog understands and knows that whatever I can know about this person, this person is my source of life and affection, and I'm going to be obedient and loyal to this owner. In a way, there's a picture of this in the Bible as it relates to God's relationship with his people. 
that God is the one in the relationship with us who has been gracious. He has brought us, he has reared us up, as Isaiah says. And the appropriate response that, that you and I ought to give in response to God and all he's done for us is love and obedience and faithfulness. But according to Isaiah and according to most of all the Bible and according to my own experience through life and my journey with Jesus, that oftentimes, rather than me seeing God as good and gracious and kind and benevolent and me owing everything to him and responding in love and loyalness to him, oftentimes I am prone to question God's goodness and his character and his kindness to me. And from time to time, I think I'm a little bit smarter than the Lord. And rather than yield myself in obedience to him, I am, like the hymn says, prone to wander. And so here in the opening verses of Isaiah, that's kind of the picture that you get of sin. That Isaiah comes out of the gate, and all those names at the beginning probably don't mean a lot to you, but here's just what you need to know about that. That, that Israel and Judah were in this time where there were a lot bigger, larger, powerful, impressive nations around them. And their existence was threatened. And oftentimes when they faced that really hard decision of faithfulness to the Lord or trusting in idols or other peoples, they chose the, the wrong path. They chose disobedience and unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so Isaiah begins his um, prophecy by calling the heavens and the earth to witness. So picture yourself in a courtroom and the witnesses are not people but all of creation. And Isaiah calls the heavens and the earth to see what has happened. That the Lord has brought up and reared children, and they have rebelled against him. And Isaiah compares them to an ox and a donkey. Which I think, I am um, not an expert in this, but I think are not quite as smart and loyal and kind as a dog would be. But even they, Isaiah says, they get this. They get what loyalty to their owner looks like and why. But Israel has rebelled against God, their father. Now you and I see this story all throughout scripture. In the opening passages of the Bible in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And he gave them all of the things that he had created to enjoy. Do you remember this story? That Genesis 1 and 2 is breathtaking, it's beautiful, you wish you could see it, and then it takes a really bad turn really quickly in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve are faced with this question of whether they're going to believe God and trust him and walk in obedience or if they're going to rebel against him. Much like a gracious father who's provided everything for his children, God has graciously provided all of this for them to enjoy. But Satan comes in and says, yeah, but what about this? And in that moment, they believe this lie that there is something that will fulfill them outside of obedience to God. Rather than seeing God as benevolent and kind and gracious, they wonder if he's withholding something from them. And they believe the lie, and you and I are made in their image. You and I come into a world that's broken because of the fall, and we struggle with that same wrestling in our relationship with God. That there are moments where you and I don't believe 
that God is good and gracious and merciful and kind. We forget all that he's done for us to show us that, and you and I rebel against him. That sin, it's helpful to remember that sin is not just primarily that God is a judge who's given us laws and we've broken them, and now we're guilty in forensic terms, but it's primarily relational. Primarily relational understanding. That God is our Heavenly Father who has created us and redeemed us and provided all of this for us. And when you and I sin, it's more than breaking the law, but it is breaking our relationship with the Lord. As I was studying this passage this week, I was thinking about the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And you all know that parable so well. I mean, you heard my amazing sermon on it in the past parable sermon series, but you remember that parable, you remember that story where that younger son, and I can't help but think that the younger son didn't have everything that his heart could have desired in relationship with his father. We know that from his interactions with the young, older brother later in the parable. That this was a good and kind and gracious father who had provided for his children, but for some reason that younger son thought he knew better. That there was something outside of God's will for him that would satisfy him or his father's will. And so he left and he went to the far country and he tried it all. Um, if, if his story was a movie, we would not watch it in church. He went out and he just tried everything that the world had to offer, believing that somewhere out there, there was something more than his father could provide for him. And do you remember that part where he wakes up and comes to his senses? When he's sitting there eating with the pigs and he's like, okay, wait a minute. There is something better for me than this. I do remember who my father is. At least his servants get to eat from his table. Maybe I'll go back. Maybe he'll at least take me back as a servant. And he, and he goes home, and he's making that trek down the driveway. I, I, I see it as kind of like a dirt road back where I grew up. And he's making his way down this long driveway to the house. And how does the father respond to him? The father runs after him. And the son is ready with all of his excuses. He's ready with all of this um, admission of sin. And in that really powerful interaction that the father has with him in the parable, it's like there's no mention of any of that stuff. And what the father is most excited about and moved by is that this son whom he would describe as dead is alive again and he is home. The picture of God that you and I see both in the Old and the New Testaments is consistent in this way. That if you have a picture in your mind of God in the Old Testament as kind of mean and ornery, and God in the New Testament is kind and gentle and wants you to come, reading through the book of Isaiah reminds us that, yes, God points out our sin. He points out the ways that we have rebelled against him. But over and over again, and I hope to show you this as we work through it, God's heart is always full of steadfast love, inviting his people to return inviting his people to confess their sin and enter back into right relationship with him. And God's punishment for his people is always for the purpose of restoring them back to him, not just taking his punishment out on them. And one thing that's true for each and every person in this room is that all of us are people who have, at some point in our lives, rebelled against our Heavenly Father's will for us. 
there's not one person in this room who's lived any amount of time on this earth who hasn't found themselves in that position, kind of wondering, is obedience really going to ultimately satisfy me? Is following what God's called me to do and to be in this world really going to make my heart ultimately satisfied? And it may not be that you've got nations around you about to invade your country, but at every point in your lives, there are going to be voices coming to you, promising you that there's something better outside of God's plan and will for your life. And we kind of think about it, we're teenagers the most, don't we? Those of us who are old. Some of us who are old in the room are like, oh, there's rebellious teenagers. And some of you who are those people, um, you think your parents have half the time lost their minds, right? If you do, that's a good sign. You have good parents. That you question sometimes as a teenager your parents' role and influence in your life and like they don't understand, they don't get it. They were never 13. They were, and they were probably just as foolish as you are, right? And what they're, what they're telling you and what they're guiding you into is something that's better than what the world would have for you to know. But it doesn't stop when you're a teenager. And you and I could list all the different people that we know or stories that we've heard of people who have made horrific decisions and have veered off the course of God's plan for their lives and made shipwreck of their own lives or their families or their businesses or so on and so forth. That we never grow out of this sense of understanding God's will and plan for our lives, thinking about what the other options are, and in those moments, Sometimes thinking, hmm, maybe that would be more satisfying. Maybe that would fulfill the desire of my heart. And we start to see God not as this gracious God who's provided everything for us for life and godliness. And we start to think, maybe he doesn't know what he's talking about. And in those moments, what I want to challenge you to do is to, to step back and think about who God is and what he's done for you. As I think about my life and my testimony, I can just tell you that there were certain points along the way where but for God's grace and his mercy and his steadfast love, um, I wouldn't be standing here as your pastor today. And moving forward, apart from God's steadfast love and mercy and kindness to me, I could do all kinds of stupid things right, to veer off of God's path for me. And ultimately what my heart and my hope is that for me, I can look to who God is and what he's done for me and remember that he will withhold nothing from me that ultimately will not be for my good and for his glory. And any of the voices out there that would have me believe otherwise, any of the voices that would have you believe otherwise, are nothing more than lies. That God is a good and gracious father. You can look at all the ways that he's provided for you and in those moments where obedience and faithfulness looks hard and difficult and the last thing that you want to do, step out in faithfulness, trusting that God, because of who he is and what he's done, that you can trust him. And most, most fully, you and I see God's love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. That he is the older brother who stepped into the world and took on flesh that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the Father's will, even to the point of death, so that you and I might be clothed in the perfect righteousness 
of Jesus Christ. If we ever question God's love and kindness for us as his children, all we have to do is look to the cross. He reminds us in the loudest terms possible that he is a good and gracious Heavenly Father who has pursued you even to the point of the death of his son that you might have a relationship with him. A couple of things I want to take you to take from this sermon. One, I want you to be reminded that that's the kind of God that we serve. And in those moments where you're tempted to think about God as kind of this far-off deity or some judge, cosmic judge, waiting to kind of pounce on you, the reality of God revealed to us in Scripture in Isaiah and all the way to the end of Revelation is one of a good and gracious Heavenly Father who desires relationship with us. And over and over again, He shows it to us in His Word and in our lives. And the other thing that I want you to take from this is that if you have been a rebellious child, and if you've been a rebellious child in the last week, or maybe this morning, but even now you are in this sanctuary and perhaps you feel more condemnation than you could describe, and maybe you think the Lord would never want me to be a part of his family, he would never invite me in, if anything, I deserve to be banished to the outermost lands. Well, the truth is that you deserve that, but the good news of the gospel is that he offers you redemption and forgiveness through faith in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and it's a meal that ought to bring us joy because it reminds us of the fact that, that though we are sinners and though that we've sinned against him and gone into the far country, he invites us into relationship with so remember who you are, that you are someone made in God's image, that you are someone for whom Christ has died, and that you have a good and gracious Heavenly Father that desires relationship with you. And as you grow in your understanding of Him, take steps of faithful obedience towards Him. Towards Him. Don't believe the lies that there's something better apart from Him because there is nothing. And if you have, confess those sins, return to him, and know that he is so happy to have you back. Why don't you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the testimony of Isaiah, and we see ourselves in these verses. And we know that even an ox knows to not bite the hand of his master, even a donkey can figure that out, but we are oftentimes like rebellious children who rather than seeing you as a good and gracious God, we think we know better and we've run out into the world. And we thank you that you, as we will see throughout the book of Isaiah, as we see all throughout scripture, continue to pursue us with a steadfast love, a mercy that never ends, and that you are always gracious to welcome us back into your so I pray that you continue to do that work of redemption in us, even this morning. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here and you've never